0: Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a Paradox.
1: Hey, everybody.
2: Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. This is the first ever Paradox Remote show.
1: Yes. We are not in the same room since we are uh, complying with social distancing. It took us uh, three weeks
2: how to figure that out.
1: Yes, it's... It's just so confusing. Why I don't know what day it is. This whole this whole thing about being quarantined. Um, I'm so corona fused. Thank you. I'm corona fused.
2: That doesn't even make sense.
1: Yeah, it's I'm confused because of the corona. By the way, I've copyrighted corona fused. So if anyone uses it, you got to send me a nickel. Just get on IRA. Uh, uh, what was the what's the thing where people can give us money? Uh, patron, Patreon. Patron, patron yes. never know how to say I, if, if you use it, get on Patr- Patreon and uh, give me a nickel.
2: One thing that's exciting is we are on a new recorder that's allowing us to um, record remotely. We've had some issues. Part of last fall when we went silent for six months was our computer and the setup we've been using for three years is no longer really working. So we ordered a new device that also allows for this remote recording. And so we're really excited because I'm in one place and Jimbo's another and it's fun.
1: And I think you're being very kind to say it was the equipment, but let's just face it. Uh, Billy screwed this up. Uh, <laughs> he is He's the engineer. So Ah, uh, the buck stops there.
2: With his and... health problems, you can't say that.
1: Oh, that's right. He just... Oh yeah. Let's let's blame it on a near death experience. Yep. Great. Yep. Yep.
2: We we'll hope everybody's I having a good day. I think we're back in the saddle. Yeah, we're back in the saddle. We'll be able to um, record whenever and wherever. Yeah,
1: as long as we drag these microphones around.
2: You know, we have for a time talked about a, uh, like a live event. And we've always discussed it being at Enchilada Zimas.
1: Oh, Josh, why did you, why, why did you bring that up?
2: Um, I wanted you to tell everybody. I can't, I just can't.
1: It's too soon. It closed. Uh, I went, I went last week, uh, after I'd heard the news and, um, And uh, I laid a rose uh, there at the the tomb of the unknown enchilada. And it was wow. But yes.
2: We hadn't planned this bit. I just thought of it. And he came up with (laughs) laid a rose at the tomb of the unknown enchilada just right off the top of his head.
1: Uh, It's so amazing. uh, That's just, it's sad. It's sad. Yep. I just couldn't believe of all the restaurants. I figured they'd been in that little building since, you know, Jesus was in North Austin.
2: So, yes, very, very sad.
1: Extremely sad. So, today we're going to take up the topic of codependency, which we did. And we were in the middle of that when the machinery died.
2: Yeah, several weeks ago. So, this is a re record. And the it one is, that we did record that no one's ever gonna hear would have changed their lives. It would have. So we're doing codependency, which is fitting because we did have a codependent, or at least Jimbo had a codependent relationship with Enchiladas Yeah.
1: So he's having and to unhealthy learn healthy dependency. He's having
2: to learn how to live without enchiladas.
1: Really, I'm learning to to let go oh, and let God. And
2: <laughs> we're like five minutes in and we still haven't talked about anything. <laughs>
1: I know. All right. So we do. We kick codependency. Everyone has heard of codependency, but we don't. It's very vague. It's sometimes misused. Uh, And so we thought we would just kind of hunker on it, kind of uh, explain it for some folks. And maybe you can see your relationship or the relationship of someone that you know and love. Uh, in this descriptor...
2: Like your high school teenager? Yes. They always have codependent sort like
1: relationships. Yes, they do. I think that's age appropriate. This is kind of a, a, uh, an, an easy to understand sort of a, um, a, a definition of a codependent relationship. It's when one person, to an unhealthy extent, needs another person who in turn to an unhealthy extent, needs to be needed. Now, didn't that just clear it up? But as you can almost see it like it's, um, it's like being addicted to another person.
2: And it doesn't necessarily have to be because the other person treats you well. No, no, not I mean, at all. It can be, you you think like you get addicted to someone that buys you flowers all the times, but no, I mean, a codependent relationship most often is is when one of the partners are treating the other one pretty
1: terribly. And the other one stays. Correct. Um, You know, it's been called a toxic dance. And if any of you guys, um, I'm not going to say if you ever watched because that would make you my age. But if you ever had Nick at night or heard your grandparents talking about all in the family, you know, there was a uh, where Archie just treated Edith horribly, horribly. And she still just, oh, Archie, and would just run and bring him his beer in his chair and would just run and get him some. That was sort of a, a comedic take on codependency. And by the way, codependency doesn't mean you don't love each other. You love each other dearly. Mm -hmm. It's just two people have a difficult time in a healthy way expressing, translating, and receiving that love. Yeah, Codependency, one of the other issues with it is it really prevents true intimacy. Because one partner always is sort of irritated with the other thinking that they're not loving them the way they should. And the other is afraid of the other. And so with that kind of thing going on, you really can't let the walls down and truly be intimate with one another.
2: And I, I, I do think, and we don't have to uh, chase this trail very long, but our society, Western culture doesn't help with Hollywood and the movies and this idea of fate and serendipity and, and, marriage a thousand years ago was you looked at the next hut next to you and you were like, she's about my age. Uh, or the parents arranged it, right? There was not this idea of, of fate and we almost have to be together. So if, if that is to change and conceptualize marriage as a choice, uh, I think it's easier to it's easier to see that I'm choosing to want my spouse. I don't necessarily need it.
1: One of the more common ways of seeing codependency, you have one partner who receives all their self-worth from the approval of their partner. When the partner is mad at them, they feel horrible about themselves and about the world. And when the partner is pleased with them, everything's coming up roses. And the other, uh, so that's sort of that submissive in a codependent relationship, the dominant is is a little more borderline-ish in that, you know, they're always irritated, they're always finding fault in the other. And therefore, it's sort of that, that borderline phrase, you know, I hate you, don't leave me. One desperately needs the approval of the other. And the other, no matter how hard they try, they can't get the other to love them in a way that they feel like they deserve. And, the, and and one of the biggest problems with codependency is we pass that right along. It's almost like uh, alcoholism uh, and any other addiction. Uh, we pass that to our children because they see, oh, that's what moms and dads do. Oh, that's what husbands and wives do. And therefore, they go looking for it. And I don't know about you, Josh, but I'm sure it's true of you as well. When you're, you're talking to these people and, and you know you, they're obviously in a codependent relationship, inevitably, so were their parents. Mm-hmm. So it really is something like an addiction that you pass down to your kids.
2: It's almost like you need that other person for your survival. And the only one that we should really ever need is Jesus. And and yeah. I know that in the garden, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And so even God himself, you know, said that we need other people. But it's for our basic survival all we need is our is Jesus, a relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we get into a codependent relationship, and we're talking marriage today, that spouse comes pretty darn close to being needed for survival. An idol in your life, if we want to go Old Testament on them, you know what I'm Don't saying? do that. Oh, yeah. And so, which is obviously, you know, if we need our spouse for survival, an inappropriate relationship. And it's, it's not. I know we already addressed this, but it's not loving. We think it's loving. Uh, we think that uh, you know to talk about codependency and to become non-dependent upon your spouse that you're asking them to love them less, um, and that's not it at all. It's asking them to love. It's asking you to love your spouse appropriately, not less. And then it, it also codependency uh, at, at, at several levels uh, makes one stay in an abusive relationship, and that, that abuse doesn't necessarily always have to be physical. Um, but it, yeah, it, I mean,
1: we see that all the time.
2: It has you staying in abuse. I mean, it's 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 loving inappropriately. It's a spouse becoming an idol, and it's requiring someone to stay in abuse. And so there's, I mean, it's just fraught with problems.
1: It takes on a lot of different forms, but the one that I just see more than than most is that it's that kind of dominant submissive. And if if we're going to kind of go through how you can recognize if you're one or the other, but, you know, if if you say, well, yeah, oh boy, you know, my, my spouse is really, really critical or, yeah, my spouse just here takes me all the time. You know, if they loved me, they'd stop. Um, keep in mind that we train people how to treat us. So however our spouse is, we had a hand in them being that way we allowed them to develop these traits over time. And so there really isn't any finger wagging to be done here. There's recognition to be done. And if I can see this, uh, I'm not blaming anybody because again, I had a part in in that coming about, how my spouse is. So this is not about wagging our finger at one or the other because it is truly a partnership in bringing this about. So how do you recognize if you're sort of that, um, this, this kind of the submissive one in the relationship? Hey, well, sorry, just are, to
2: go back a couple of seconds, it's it's this yeah. partnership that we naturally slide into it's nonverbal Oops. and it just happens so often when yep. we're dating and obviously in engagement and then it flourishes in marriage but we slide into this because of either how we like you mentioned it uh, saw it from our parents um but also just uh, our our personal insecurities and our personal mm-hmm. anxieties and so we just slide into this unknowingly um and and it 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 it, it causes unhealth in the relationship
1: absolutely it, it, we slide in it through serendipity uh, i feel as- is one of the, the core reasons. Moving on. Recognizing if, if you're that submissive. Here are five questions to ask yourself. Does your self-worth hang on your partner's approval? Think about that. Does it just crush you when they're angry at you? Uh, does just the adrenaline, is it just coursing out your veins uh, if you hear that tone in their voice? Number two, is it difficult to say no when your partner makes a demand of you? Do you feel like if they say do it, you have no choice but to do it? Uh, Number three, do you walk on eggshells around your partner, trying not to ruffle feathers? Number four, do you consistently worry about other people's opinions of you? Are you um, just a people pleaser? Um... Again, I'm sure I've mentioned this at some point, but I had a client once that said, I'm not one of those guys that when you walk into the room, everyone has to like me. I'm the guy who walks in the room and everyone has to love me. Is that you? And then lastly, number five, do you keep quiet to avoid arguments? So are you conflict avoidant? So there are five sort of characteristics of, of a, more of a submissive person in a codependent relationship. Yep.
2: So the codependency requires a dominant and a submissive, and that's a list of five things to where you can identify if you're the submissive.
1: Right. For those of you keeping up at home. Yes. So to re- now, now let's look at five things, and let me be clear about this, Josh. These are five things that you can you can recognize uh, if you're more of a dominant. Number one, are you in a constant state of irritation and frustration with your partner?
2: Like I am with Jimbo.
1: Yes. Right now, for example, because we always, we always tell people, you know, if you're constantly angry at your partner, it's, that's not your partner's fault. That's, that's you. So are you in a constant state of irritation with your partner? Number two, You can't let go of correcting your partner. You can't. They do something and it's just, it's a compulsion. You can't not tell them what it was that they did wrong. Number three, you find it extremely difficult to agree to disagree, which kind of leads to number four, feels a strong need to be right. One of the more famous cognitive distortions as the fallacy of being right and how some people will put just a huge emphasis on not only being right, but other people acknowledging that they were right. And then number five, basically when push comes to shove in a relationship, you get your way. When it comes down to it, things happen the way you want them to happen. So there are five sort of questions to ask. That might identify you as being one of the uh, one of the dominants in this toxic dance of codependency.
2: You know, and as you were talking, I had the percentages of 90 10 in my head. It's almost like this codependent relationship. The dominant gets his way 90 his or her way 90 percent of the time and the submissive 10 percent of the time or 95 five. Mm-hmm. And we often talked about marriage, um, it being best at 50-50, but that's also impossible. It's more like a dance of being 60-40, but one spouse is 60 Mm -hmm. sometimes and the other spouse is 60 the other. Right, right. Uh, It's this—a non-codependent relationship is this give and take where you're taking at times— but you're also giving at times, not a, this this codependency idea where the dominant is taking, 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 and the submissive is always giving, giving, giving.
1: And some, uh, some people, again, you talked earlier how sometimes this is parents' example, and sometimes it's just our personality makeup being this conflict avoidant, where you have that in you that you just hate conflict, therefore, where you want to go eat, I don't care what do you want to watch i don't care and so you, by by entering into a relationship like that it's sort of like you abdicate the throne i mean you, mm-hmm. it's like you there's this void that the other partner so sometimes being the dominant and working your way into it sometimes it, you you weren't intending to do that mm-hmm. uh it's just the other partner stopped you know, stop contributing.
2: And the submissive has been compared to a doormat. You just mm-hmm. become a doormat in a relationship where the dominant walks all over you. And what's interesting about attraction, romantic attraction, is someone's attracted to you as an individual, uh, as mm-hmm. a non doormat. Uh, you become first attracted to your spouse because you look over, you know, uh, across the table and you see uh, their interests and their likes and their dislikes and their opinions and you see another individual. But when we become this doormat to the dominant, the dominant can lose attraction for you because you, you're you now a non-entity in the relationship. Yeah, and Absolutely. the loss of attraction from the submissive to the dominant is also obvious because, you know, who would be attracted to someone that's so demanding and angry all the time?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Um, and yes. and that's where the block of true intimacy comes in.
1: So when we talk about the the, the kind of the solution to uh, uh, this toxic dance of codependency, um, well, the solution is boundaries. And next week we're going to do a whole a whole show just talking about boundaries. What are good ones? How do you determine what are good ones? How do you enforce them? So next week is all we're going to talk about is boundaries. So we're not just going to completely, you know, duplicate what we're talking about. So we're going to kind of save that for next week. But that is that is the solution to codependency is sometimes boundaries. Sometimes physical
2: boundaries, sometimes emotional boundaries. Boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Boundaries. Uh, but just for today, um, you know, If I could say one thing to, uh, if you find yourself, you're kind of thinking, gosh, I think I come into that submissive, uh, that submissive role. If I could just give you one word um, of advice, it is to not avoid conflict. I don't know if it was because you never saw conflict as a child or because there was way too much conflict and it scared you. And so you just not going to have it now. For whatever reason, you have to learn that conflict is not bad. Conflict is actually good. God did not call us to be peacekeepers like the UN. He called us to be peacemakers. And sometimes that requires conflict. Um, And so, oh, be a buffalo. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm going to tell you if you're submissive. Be a buffalo. And let me give you, being growing up in West Texas, uh, let me give you some farm and ranch uh, info, Josh.
2: Yeah, because all I'm seeing is you encouraging me to go out and graze on grass,
1: cows. When this is actually odd, because I do remember this growing up. When there is a storm coming in, you you know it, you know before you even see the clouds, because all the the cows are in the furthest corner of the field, all packed together. So they get as far away from the approaching storm as they can get, and then they just hunker down until it's over. Buffaloes, and I don't know where in their you know evolutionary that they came up with this, but a buffalo herd of buffalo, when they see a storm coming, they turn and they run into it because they know the storm's coming at them, and if they run at it and then through it, it's there quicker and it's over quicker, as opposed to sitting waiting and then just have the whole thing just pour over you
2: for the first time in your life, you make sense and you have the perfect example. Yes, it's buffalo. And in my almost 40 years of life, hearing you speak countless hours, I've never heard you use that example.
1: I, for the guys in, in my sex addiction groups, I get them a cup that says, always be yourself unless you can be a Buffalo, then always be a Buffalo. Yeah. Um, so, Think of it so engaging in conflict is actually the healthiest way to handle conflict because it, yes, it starts and yes, it's unpleasant. But you know what? When the dust settles, he didn't leave. When the dust settles, she's still here. She may be really angry, but she's still here, and the grass is still growing, and Jesus is still on his throne, but it's over.
2: So for the submissive engaging conflict, and what I would say is you've got to figure out uh, wants versus needs. Um, I might have mentioned that already in this episode, but um, you've got to determine that you want your spouse, you don't need your spouse. And through that, that's a cognitive exercise where you think through what you would do without your spouse. Let's say one day, you know, a car wreck or cancer or... You know, would you survive? What would you do without your spouse? And what you'll find is with your faith, with your f- other family members, with your friends, that you would survive. And if you can come to a place in your heart where you can honestly say, I, I want them, but I don't need them, well, then engaging in conflict is less difficult, not easy, but less difficult. Having an opinion is less difficult because you're not scared if the partner turns and runs the other direction.
1: Which they're not going to do. Exactly. And then if you find yourself, you go, oh, gosh, maybe, maybe I am critical. Maybe this is harder to see also, by the way. It's easy for the submissive to go, yes, I'm being bullied. It's a little more difficult for the bully to uh, see this in themselves. However, I tell people all the time, if you are a husband or a wife... It is not your place to correct your spouse. Doesn't mean that you don't have problems with what they do or how they do it, but it is not your place to correct them. To correct someone like you correct a child is to assume an authoritative position over them. And I am correcting your behavior. You don't have that right as a spouse. Because you're not in an authorita- authoritative position over your partner, so it is it is not your place to correct your partner. And since most people, you know, listening are believers, keep in mind that there is a Holy Spirit, and you are not Him. Uh, leave that to the Holy Spirit, and move on down the road. So, if you find yourself to be dominant, it's in talking about. It really does, Josh. It's, a, it's very much an anxiety thing. It really is a, a compulsive. Uh, it's really sort of an OCD type of thing. I obsess about what they did or said, and I'm now compelled to address it. And I can't, I'm not comfortable until I do. And that really is an anxiety issue.
2: And I would say to the dominant, to be smarter. its It's like they want their way. And to get it, they become demanding and dismissive of their spouse. And ultimately, you might get your way, but it happens begrudgingly. You know, like a, a, a football coach. I'm going to maybe, if I don't believe that the football coach really cares about me, I might do what he says because he's there and he might make me run more if I don't. But I'm just going to kind of go through the motions. But if I believe a coach cares about me as an individual and as a person, I would run through a brick wall. I would do more than actually what they asked for, not just the the basics of what they asked for. You're not using this manipulatively, but as the dominant, be smarter because you can, you can actually have your cake and eat it too, demanding and criticism. It might get you what you want, but you'll never get more. You'll never and get keeping, true intimacy, right. and there's a way to get a, a, someone to lovingly do what you asked and more, and that's by considering that other person and caring about them and loving them and ha- allowing them a say sometimes. And so, for the dominant, I would just be be smarter. You're, you're going about it the wrong way,
1: and they're 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 misinterpreting what's taking place. They're putting this condition it, it, because you did that or because you didn't do that, or because you said that, or you didn't say this, that is evidence that you don't love me. If you love me, you would be doing these things. And so in their minds, they are completely justified in addressing this because they are wanting the other person to love them. And again, we're not going to go back to to Sue Johnson, and get, but that's basically with EFT, you know, emotionally focused couples therapy. It's an attempt to regain a loving relationship. That's why they're being critical is to, is to point it out because then you would, by doing these things or not doing these, you would love me the way I want to be loved. And it's back to Egrich in Love and Respect. He says, you know, we want the other person to love us the way we want to be loved. And so the way we go about that is to get a stick and we just jab them and we just keep jabbing them in the eye until they love us the way we want to be loved. And that's never going to happen. Correct. You're using a technique, to your point, that you will never get what you want. The desired
2: results. Bingo.
1: Yeah. So therefore, then why are you doing it? If it's not going to get you what you want, then why are you doing it? And you're doing it because of your own issues. Your own. Core beliefs about yourself and the way you were raised and your attachment. And that's why you're doing it. It's not your partner's fault. But it's it is really difficult for a dominant to to believe that.
2: If you want more information about this episode or anything previous, it's paradoxpodcast.com. You can also find us on our socials there. Jimbo, it was good to virtually see
1: you today. Yes. You look better on video.
2: Today's recording was really awkward for me. Couldn't get my thoughts gathered, and I think it was because of this virtual experience, but I'll get better.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, they always say that, you know, being on television puts on 10 pounds. So, yeah, I see that. All right, have a good one. See ya.
0: Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox Evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to JulieLylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to ParadoxPodcast.com.